we would love for you to try to raise your voice by the end of this year. And I say that because, and specifically to Congress, I should specify that. So if you're wanting to get started in a direction, say it feels like there's like a, a million directions right now. One that I can suggest is that congressional advocacy before the end of the year so that Congress understands that they need to get a bipartisan deal for childcare and early learning. So that's a great place to start. Hi, everyone. I'm Kate Klein from Teachstone, and welcome to the Teaching with Class podcast. Let's take a moment to think. When was the last time that you raised your voice about what's happening in education? Not raised your voice in the classroom. We don't want to create negative climate, of course. What I mean is, when was the last time you used your voice to make a difference for the education field? It can be scary to speak out, even when we know we have important things to say. So we just vent to our coworkers, which changes nothing. But what would happen if we spoke out in a way that would support positive, necessary changes? Well, today we're talking advocacy with Jake Stewart. He's the Director of State Government Relations at the Early Care and Education Consortium. But he started out in the classroom, just like you and me. Today's episode is a little longer than usual, so you might want to listen on your way to and from work. I know one thing for sure, though, you won't want to miss a moment. So let's get started. Welcome to the Teaching with Class podcast, Jake. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. It's going to be awesome. So before we dive into the nitty gritty of advocacy, tell us, please, a little bit about yourself and your journey. Yeah. So currently I work for a, a childcare nonprofit. It's called the Early Care and Education Consortium where I am director of state policy and government affairs. So very focused on the state side of things, which we know is very influential over early learning and childcare policy. And prior to that, I worked for a different nonprofit, Child Care Aware of America, where I did very similar work, but on, on the federal side. So I was working a lot on the federal advocacy, talking to members of Congress or their staff and, and trying to get childcare and early learning to be an issue that they would pay attention to. Before that, I actually worked in Congress for a little bit. I worked for a senator from New Mexico, Senator Tom Udall. I worked there for a couple of years as a, as a junior staffer. So a lot of it was answering phone calls, giving tours, a, a little bit of policy work here and there, but a lot of it was administrative. But that work really helped me understand Congress a lot better than I did before. You can study politics, but I've, I've come to realize that until you're in the belly of the beast, it is really hard to get a grasp on exactly what's happening. But before that, I actually started off in the classroom. I was an educator myself. I taught middle school math. Uh, a lot of people, of course, have a lot of thoughts about middle school. And I really enjoyed teaching those students. I think it, it really worked well with my personality. However, that was the first time that I really realized how important the early years were. 
I think often when we are are teaching, and, and I was in a low income area, um, a rural area as well. I, I was teaching in New Mexico, and I realized that even at the seventh and eighth grade level, that my students were missing a lot of skills that I didn't have time to teach them. Of course, as teachers, we we still try to teach them, but we also are up against the curriculum we might have to teach. And that was sort of my first aha moment that investing in those early years from preschool to childcare to even K through three, really, really crucial. And so I wanted to go into the advocacy space and that's what led me here. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, what a journey. So you started out in the classroom the way that our listeners, right, as a teacher. And so it's really important, like trying to get in that frame of mind of, I'm just a teacher in my classroom. What what difference can I make? And to know that you've gone through so many steps to the, where you are now aware of and impacting what's happening nation, you know, states, nation for classroom teachers. That's so amazing that that journey. <laughs> so anyway, can you help us then as educators understand what advocacy is all about? Give us a starting point. That's a great question. And I'm actually going to divide this into two categories. There is the formal advocacy that I think sounds really intimidating. That's when we're talking about, you know, advocating to members of Congress and and getting them to invest in kids. And I think that's really intimidating because a lot of people are scared to speak government. There's a lot of terminology. and, And honestly, before I actually started working for Congress, I really didn't understand what was going on half of the time either, especially when your mind is preoccupied with your students and actually teaching. So there's the formal advocacy, but there's also informal advocacy. And this is oftentimes the the most powerful form of advocacy. This is when we are educating people within our networks about certain issues um, that help them learn more and potentially even become advocates themselves. And that could be as simple as a conversation with a family member or friend about sort of the issues that you're up against as an educator, getting them to even understand kind of what your world looks like and sort of the pressures that you have as a teacher. Because at the end of the day, we really need more voices in this. And so there's two different ways to think about it. And the the informal advocacy part is one that I would really encourage everyone to explore more. The formal advocacy part, though, I also hope that we can break down that intimidation factor because I think that educators actually have the most important voice in in all of that, Um, even a more important voice than than mine. And I'm not saying I'm the most important voice, but, you know, even though I'm in those meetings, I, I can assure you that policymakers don't want to hear from me all the time. They, they want to hear from constituents and they want to hear from the people that are actually doing the work. And so educator voices are very important in that. And I know educators should feel like they are unprepared or, or unable to, you know, do that type of advocacy as well. So we're all really struggling in the classroom these days, right? And I think oh that gosh. 
that there's, there's not enough teachers. The teachers that are there are working so hard to stay, right? Keep their head above water and feeling day after day that they need some encouragement and some support. So if I'm coming at it from that space of like, I already have so much going on as a teacher. And is it really going to make a difference if I speak up? Like, it's just little old me, (laughs) little old overworked, tired educator me. Am I really going to make a difference? What do you think about that? Well, first, I want to recognize that teachers today have it harder than ever. And I take my hat off to those that are still in the classroom and have been in the classroom throughout the pandemic. It has been 10 years since I first started teaching. I was in the classroom for three years. And of course, teaching is hard in general, especially when you're a first, second, third year teacher. And add in, you know, everything that happened with the pandemic add in all of the political sensitivities that are are really starting to play a role in the classroom for for teachers across the country. And it is a really difficult environment, you know, on top of all of the problems that already persisted. And so just one thing that you should know is the fact that you are still in the classroom and still teaching, you're already doing amazing things and you are already playing a role there. And we are hearing about the, the staffing crisis, of course. We're hearing about the, the teacher crisis. And of course, you know, a lot of people know that it's connected to low pay. But I still think that there's a disconnect between what teachers need, even something as simple as a, an educator just raising their voice about what they need. And again, I go back to you could do that informally by just, just talking to people in your network, talking about sort of the systemic failures that are you know contributing to these problems in your classroom. But then you can also do that formally by going to, and this could be local, this could be statewide or national, and, and going to policymakers or, or going to events and, and trying to raise your voice. And then there's a lot in between. You could write to your member of Congress, you could call in. Of course, all of that, though, sounds intimidating, and a lot of that sounds timely. And I know that teachers don't have a lot of time to get involved. And so I think that's where we run up into this issue where, you know, the people whose voices we need the most are busy. (laughs) So what can we do to help lay out a path for them to be able to participate? And there are a number of ways to make that happen. You could get involved with a a local or, or national organization. NACI is a really great example. I know that there are many um, state AUIC chapters that people can join and be a part of. And what's great about that is they'll tell you when your voice is needed and they'll tell you when to, you know, send an email to Congress or, or call. Oftentimes they'll even provide you a script or that a draft email and they'll try to make it as easy for you as possible because you know, these advocacy organizations are well aware that teachers just don't have that kind of time to commit to advocacy. But I would also add, and and this goes back to your question of, does my voice matter? And no surprise, I'm going to say that the answer is yes, but let me explain a little bit why. So when we look at elections and we compare this to voting, 
it's very, very similar in, in the Florida election in 2000, right? It was less than 500 votes that separate, that basically determined the president of the United States. And it's very similar with advocacy as well. And actually advocacy takes less voices to make an impact. You know, I, I mentioned I worked for a Senator and I mentioned that I, I take the calls, I do the admin work. So take it from someone who's been on the inside. We do actually track the calls. When you do call in, we actually mark what you say. We uh, then compile that list. We send it out daily. We add up those numbers weekly because that is a way for our office to monitor the trends of what constituents were, were saying. And if there, there could be 10 or 20 constituents calling in on something and, and those numbers do actually stand out. And so it, it really just takes a few people to, to raise their voices to really get something on the radar of someone who can make a difference. And so whether it's by yourself or you even connect with others, I think your, your voice is going to be really important. I have to, okay, truth time here. I have always seen those calls to action from maybe NAYC or something like that, where like, here's what to say. We're giving it to you. And I go, oh, I don't know. Will that really make a difference? So it is so great to hear that even if it's pre-written, like I'm just kind of filling in my name, it does get counted. Like, really? Somebody is keeping track of that stuff? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And if you send a letter, you actually might get a response as well. So oh. a lot of offices do take that seriously. And but I get it when you're up against everything that you are in the classroom and, and yeah. you see this other email that, you know, honestly just may not make it, you know, you, you may not even see it in a day and, and the time may have already passed that you, you could have weighed in. And that's okay, because I think part of this, too, is, is not necessarily to be so hard on yourself. But, you know, as long as you develop that awareness of how can I raise my voice, I honestly think that for some people, that's not the best way to raise their voice. There might be a different way that works for their personality and style. I don't have a TikTok. However, I, we are seeing a lot of TikToks, especially from educators, and a lot of me thinks, or a part of me thinks that could that be turned into more of an advocacy oriented avenue as well. And, and some teachers are already doing that. Some teachers do a great job of, of uh, you know, and I've seen some videos sometimes on TikTok that might really highlight those issues. But, you know, that's a fun way for, you know, more of the creative teacher that wants to share those things to get involved. But I think that as long as someone's really taking the time to think through what would work for them, not everyone has to do the same thing, which is why I would love to expand the view of, of what advocacy is so people can latch on to the one that might work best for them. So it could be just a conversation with a neighbor or right who knows that you're a teacher and oh gosh, what it's like out there right now. And or it could be something I'm putting on social media or a formal letter or phone call to my representative. So there are different ways to do that. What if I feel like I don't feel like I'm knowledgeable enough to speak up? I don't have the data that I need, or I feel at a loss for having the, a weighty argument, right? I just, what do I say when I feel at a loss? Or how do you speak government, right? I, I think a lot of people are just very intimidated to exactly. talk about policy. Exactly. And 
basically, I would say that you actually, as an educator, have all of the information that you need. You, you don't need to worry about, you know, talking about the policies. You don't need to necessarily worry about those kind of details. What you need to worry about is describing what you're seeing. You're the one that's on the ground. You're the one that is, is living the experience. And you have that vital information already. And actually, a big part of advocacy is education. And you're, you're an educator. You actually, you can do this. You know how to do it. You do it every day with your students. Now, just imagine that for a broader audience, which, you know, it could be families, the families of your students. It could be your friends or in your social network. It could be your local community, or it could be to uh, here in DC, to a federal policymaker. But what you're telling them are your experiences and your needs, right? And it's their job to figure out the rest. <laughs> but I think you have all of the all of the expertise. And and another thing I want to add to that is also understanding that members of Congress don't necessarily always know that. I have actually been in meetings where, you know, with staff or with members of Congress who they might have some understanding of an issue, but they don't necessarily know all of the details themselves. And that's because actually members of Congress rely on advocacy organizations to um, help fill in those gaps. It's, it's impossible to be an expert on everything. It really is. And, and even these staff members who are in, incredibly intelligent and hardworking and, and whatnot, they are spread thin. And, you know, having a voice to really help paint that picture for them, that's helpful, you know, no matter who the staffer is. And so I think sometimes it's, it's just a matter of not feeling so intimidated and not feeling like you're the one who is, you're the one, you're the least knowledgeable in the room. Because the truth is, is that you have a vantage point that actually makes you the most important voice in the room, in my opinion. Okay, so I may not think I have the data, but my lived experience is the data that I need to just talk about what I experience every day, what I see happening in school around me, other friends that I know that are teachers, what their experience is and what we need, what we need in our schools and in our communities. And then you said, let the other people figure out the solutions. What we need to talk about what we need and what's what's happening. And I want to expand that a little bit too. When we say what we need, not only what you need to teach in the classroom, what you need to support yourself. And that is really important in all of this. We are seeing you know, some of the highest turnover um, ever in teaching right now. And it's really important for policymakers to understand those reasons. I think Teachers, especially the ones that are, are still in it, they are used to giving everything they have to their students because they care about their students and they want to make sure that they are there for their students. But there is an element of self-care that is really important to sustaining teaching. You need to take, make sure that you're taken care of so that you can be there for your students. So... We need to think beyond what you just need in the classroom and really think about what are those supports you need in your life so that you can put more into teaching and you don't have to worry about not being able to go to the doctor because you don't have benefits or you don't have to worry about. And by the way, I'm speaking from personal experience when I say this, so, so I hope people understand, but you don't have to, to worry about 
writing a check and cashing it at the grocery store, knowing that it'll be a couple business days and that buys you a little bit more time to get to the next paycheck. And I bet you there are a lot of listeners right now who know exactly what I'm talking about. That's not okay. Because at the end of the day, those stresses are going to impact your classroom, no matter what. It might be indirectly, but it is going to do so. We need to make sure that teachers are taken care of, well compensated, can support themselves so they can support their students. I mean, early educators especially are the ones that are really molding minds. And we need to make sure that those that are molding the minds of our our most precious and, and vulnerable are well equipped to do so. And that is much more than just resources in a classroom. It, that is also part of it, but it goes beyond that. Yes. Each person is a resource, a valuable resource. Each teacher is. Yeah. And our, our own health and well-being impacts the health and well-being and learning that happens for the children in our classrooms. So that's such an important and special message. Special message. <laughs> so, it could be hard to say. Say that five times fast. I know, exactly. <laughs> okay. So can you give us a little bit of information of like, what's the hot topics out there right now that we could weigh in on, or we should be looking out for, or any of that kind of stuff? Yes, absolutely. I would love to talk about this because I think, you know, especially people who are loosely paying attention to the news, they may have heard about Build Back Better and this promise for all this money for preschool and childcare. Well, essentially what happened was Build Back Better over time uh, turned into the Inflation Reduction Act. And Senator Manchin, who you know was that one holdout vote because we have this crazy makeup in the Senate that was a complete fluke because Georgia won the Senate seats. You see kind of how all of these things tie together. But we had the one holdout of Senator Manchin. He did announce that he would support this Inflation Reduction Act. And unfortunately, child care and, and early learning was left out of it. It was pared down to health care, energy, climate-related measures. But we did not see that investment that we were looking for and that was originally written to build back better. However, that does not mean that we are done yet. The session ends at the end of December, so there's still some time. We do have midterms thrown in there, so that is going to definitely affect the timeline. But there is still a possibility to try to see if we can get something bipartisan across the finish line before the end of the year. Now, I am sure there are a lot of listeners who are very skeptical at the, of the idea that anything bipartisan could happen. And to be honest, I don't think we're going to have many bipartisan initiatives before midterms, but we will likely have a lot after midterms. So that time period after midterms, so from mid-November to the end of December is going to be really crucial, not just for, for child care and early learning, but for a whole number of, of issues that need to be resolved before members end the session at the end of the year. Of course, in addition to trying to pursue something bipartisan, we still have the regular funding that is, is moving forward. So when I say regular funding, I'm talking about the year-to-year -year funding for programs like Head Start. For those that might be familiar, you know, in the childcare space, the, the child care and development block grants, 
which we often call CCBBG because we love throwing acronyms at everybody. And that is probably going to be a little delayed. That will probably be pushed till after midterms again. However, it was nice to see that the House and the Senate are proposing, you know, at least billions of an increase there. So in CCDBG, they're proposing a $1 billion increase to last year's levels. In Head Start, they're proposing a $1.3, $1.4 billion increase. So still a number of sizable increases. But then, you know, I have to look at the other side and say, when we factor in inflation, how far does that money really go? You know, I, I would say that maybe we need to ask for more to compensate for the, the high costs of, of inflation. But that's another story. We'll, we'll still happily take those increases. Right. And we still have a couple of, of measures left. But really what it comes down to from Congress is we need money. This system is, is under-resourced and the, the investment is not there. And if they don't figure something out at the end of the year, the problems are only going to get worse. And that's saying a lot because they are really bad right now. Yes, right. We want to do what we can to be on a proactive, right? Let's do some things. Let's make a difference so that we can see, right? I had a conversation last night with teachers. They were talking about those sort of like school district teachers talking about those year to year increases are not keeping up with inflation even. So even school district teachers who feel like they're in a fairly stable environment in terms of structure and things like that, they're not able to keep up paying their bills. And it's really, it's very stressful. And they're talking about emergency waivers to fill in vacancies and things like that in our classrooms where now there won't even be qualified teachers. And right, it's really, we've got to do something. So it's so great to hear your encouragement and the information. So that's like federal level. How do I find out about like, are there things happening at the state level too? Or how would I find out about my local, like all of that kind of stuff? There's so many different levels. Yeah. So that's a great question because during the pandemic, we saw the largest investment into childcare and early learning that, that we have ever seen. And if, if you add up the different legislation that was passed, it's about $50 billion, with a B dollars for, for childcare and early learning. That's that is unheard of. Yeah. That is historic. And we've actually seen that make a difference. And so if, if you're in a state that may have started providing bonuses for salaries, for example. And, and in some states, it's been a lot. In DC, actually, they're going to be, it, it's ten dollars to $12,000 that they're adding on. And in a variety of other states, it's looked like, you know, bonus checks ranging from $300 a quarter to, you know, $1,000, $1,500, $2,000 in, in different cycles. And all of that helps, but now we're up against the other problem, which is none of it's permanent. That funding mm -hmm. is going to dry up very quickly. And while 50 billion sounds like a lot, you remember that we have 50 states and then it, you know, that becomes 1 billion and that, you know, just you, you keep going and going and it really isn't the money that we need long-term. So a lot of states, however, or some states, I should say, they're paying attention to the issue. The pandemic really helped to highlight that, um, although, you know, 
some advocates like myself who have been trying to scream it at Congress for well before the pandemic have been like, okay, now you see the problem. That's what it took. It's Finally. Out. Yeah. <laughs> but the pandemic really shined a light on that. And we must take advantage of this moment. And we also cannot let it fade away as the world re- reopens, right? We can't let them forget just how essential all of this is. Some states are really wanting to look into how to fix these problems, but we still need those voices to just tip it over the edge and to really get them there because what that looks like can look very different from state to state. You know, in New Mexico, and I will say New Mexico right now is is starting to lead the country in terms of some, you know, investments into to early childhood. And, and there are several reasons for that, but the leaders of New Mexico really worked together. They identified a way to get permanent funding for the field. They decided to go the route of taxes for land leases that they have for oil companies there. They had to get congressional approval for that. So they worked with the uh, their senators, actually, to, to go through and get congressional approval. And together, they made it work. And now they have a permanent source of funding. And New Mexico basically said, we're not going to wait for the feds, right? And I think that's an important thing to remember is I think we, we still need to put pressure on the federal government. We still need to try to get that funding from the federal government. But we also can't wait and we can't necessarily put all of our eggs into one basket. And so that advocacy at the state level is also really crucial. And we need our voices there. Oftentimes, the American public tends to only think of politics as national, right? We have national news. We're paying attention to what's in D.C. And people don't think about, you know, the state or the local. And, you know, everyone has a a state senator or a state representative that they could reach out to. And and actually, those offices (laughs) receive even less calls, right? And so it's much easier, actually, to form a relationship with those offices than, say, you know, maybe a federal office or a governor's office that is more statewide. So, but I absolutely think it's worth it. I, I don't think we should let states off the hook just because the feds haven't funded anything, because if the state wanted to, they could figure it out. And I think it's our job to make them want to. I'm stepping back. We could do formal or informal, my neighbor or like something really formal, or I can do local school board, local government, local rights to state, to federal, right? There's all these different levels. Is there a special time? Is any time a good time? Like when I want to make sure that if I'm getting brave enough to to speak up, I want to make sure that it is at a good time, right? That it's going to make a difference. What's your advice on that? The first thing I'll say is yes, any time's a good time. So don't you know, if, you, if you're ever worried about the time, I, you know, don't let that influence, you know, whether or not you should, you should do it. There are some times where it, it is, depending on what you're doing, it is strategically a little bit better. And we went back to those action alerts that you might get from NACI or other organizations. Those action alerts are actually timed for a reason. And it's because in this complicated process of Congress, there are certain moments where raising your voice is very helpful, but it, it's helpful to raise your voice all the time as well. One thing I want to highlight, just because it's coming up, are midterms. Elections are a great time to raise your voice. 
There are going to be town halls or other events that the candidates are going to be hosting. And even something as simple as, as showing up and asking a question. And maybe in that question, you can talk about those pressures that you're up against, whether that's financially or in the classroom. And you can vocalize just how bad it is and just how much you need help. And, you know, elections are crucial. Elections are, you know, not only determining who is in the office, but it's also determining the promises that they're making to their constituents that then they need to be held to throughout their time in office. It really can influence that agenda even well beyond the election is taking place. So voting, of course, is crucial, but I think making sure that those members of Congress or those, those candidates that are running for office understand that they should be fighting tooth and nail to invest in our education and particularly our early education system. Make them promise that. Make them look you in the eye and promise that. Or, you know, engage in the other advocacy activities and start educating people. And I will say, you know, as an educator, maybe we don't know everything right away, but we're educators. We never know everything right away. I, I can tell you there's a number of, of lessons that I've taught that before I taught them, I really didn't know what they were or I really you know, couldn't remember what it was. So what did I do? I went back, I taught myself, and then I figured out a way to educate my students about it. And it is advocacy is the exact same thing. So if there is something that you think needs to happen, or, or maybe you do a little research on the candidates, you learn about the, the local or state or national candidates that are making these promises that we know are good for you know, educators and we know are good for students, and you're sharing that information. I mean, it's, it's really just a process of, of helping to, to educate others. And however you do that, that's advocacy. I have so many options then as, as a teacher. It's amazing to me to think that even if I just show up at a town hall and I just tell my story and I might not even have to ask a question. I could just go, hey, so-and-so, whatever, whoever you are coming to hear from me, here's what I have to say. This is what it's like in my classroom, in my building, uh, in my district, or how it's affecting whether or not I can, can pay the bills or the healthcare that I get through the district is so expensive and yet doesn't cover these really important things or whatever it is that it's not just about my classroom, it's about my livelihood and my well-being that you were saying earlier, Jake. So what I get nervous about is saying the wrong thing. Like I'm feeling very inspired that I could actually do this. And then I worry, what if I say something that gets me in trouble? Or what if I put I don't even have TikTok, but I can, you know, I've seen things go wrong, right? People put things on social media and they end up getting in, in trouble for them. So what is your, your thought about how to advocate in a safe way that really does preserve my livelihood also? <laughs> so. And, you know, that is more than fair because we also live in such a politically sensitive time that is playing out in the classroom where, where you've seen the stories about teachers getting fired because of, of a well-intended lesson that they may have taught or, you know, something that they may have, you know, tried to put out there on social media. And, and it is a very fiery time. So 
one thing, you know, I would highlight is understand that you have the right to advocate. That is your right. But I would also just think through the policies that, well, first of all, understand the policies that your uh, school district or that your school may have and review those carefully. I don't think it ever hurts if you're going to start a TikTok or put out a public message. I don't think it ever hurts to run it by your administration. Do that, that CYA, recover your A step. And that way you just know that you won't get in trouble. I, I, you know, I don't think that ever hurts. When it comes to the formal advocacy, that I don't think you should really be worried about you know, everyone has the right to write to their their congressperson or, or call in and, and have that opinion. So that, you know, you should definitely feel okay with. That informal advocacy, though, definitely can be something where I think it's really important for you to understand sort of, you know, where you could get in trouble or where you're safer. But I do think by connecting with an administrator, particularly a trusted administrator or someone in your school or whoever for, maybe they can help bring ideas to the table too. You know, maybe they can be a thought partner in what it is you want to communicate. Maybe you can do an education campaign to your families and your students. Maybe there's something that an important vote that's coming up in, in city council or, or something where you don't need, just need your voice. You need the voices of your parents or you need the voices of others as well. And there's a way for the school to, to educate people about that because you are always allowed to educate. Always. That is something that should be allowed. But of course, you want to make sure that you're checking in with your administrators. You want to make sure or, or whoever it is that is your supervisor. And but, you know, recognize that they may also want to step in or, or they may be able to point you in a direction where they're like, maybe not this avenue, but here's another avenue or, or here's an alternative that could help you. I, I think I, I want to make sure that, that teachers are protecting themselves, especially during these times. So it, it is more than a legitimate question. Yeah, definitely want to speak up and also, you know, do it in a way that can be received, right? That my, my message is truth, right? It's talking about what the real situation is and at the same time, not getting me in trouble or putting people off, but opening up those ears to hear about, you know, oh, wow, we really do need to do something about this. How can I also get involved or? And this ties really nicely to the conversation we had earlier about choosing what works best for you. And I, you know, I've listed so many things. I also want to, you know, remind everyone that we need creative energy here too. Like you may have an idea that I've never even thought of that will help spark that education. And, you know, we hear about those on the news that like different thing that um, really help drive a point or raise awareness. So don't feel that you're limited to the things I've suggested. I think a lot of this is about, you know, of course, assessing your environment, making sure you, you are learning about what you can do, but also what's comfortable for you. Some people are more comfortable on TikTok and can, they are great at it. I don't think I would ever be great at it, but others are fantastic at it. You know, maybe there's something that, by the way, a great example of advocacy or like a campaign that I thought, you know, and this actually came up on my Facebook memories the other day, so it's well-timed, is the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Do you remember that? And and people had to nominate other people. 
Yeah. And, you know, someone had that idea and that idea took off. And so feel free to bring your creative energy to the table. Or if you are exhausted because you expend all of that in your classroom, no creative energy left. (laughs) Feel free to get connected to the organizations or people that can help you at least, you know, weigh in when it's timely. Definitely doing what's best for you and what works best for you is, is the most important thing. Yeah, we don't want to lose this opportunity. It's sort of like so many things came to light during the and after the pandemic. And like you're saying, some of that funding that people felt was emergency funding was sort of just getting people to the starting line rather than boosting things past like, oh, it's really going to help. No, this is like just getting to basic, meeting basic needs and to lose that would be terrible, right? And so we want to make sure we don't lose this point in time where so many people are ready to listen and think and make a difference. So, yeah. And, and the point in time is is so important because I really do, I'm fearful that we're going to, you know, not see the spotlight on this issue anymore. We are kind of on this cusp where we can't let people forget about this. And so we have to do everything and we need everyone involved to make sure that people are not forgetting about this and that this is not going to just fade into the background once the world reopens. You know, right now we're, we're on the, not to scare people, but actually maybe it is to scare people. <laughs> we're approaching a systemic failure in early learning especially. And it's one in which, you know, we need definitely to invest in in our workforce. We need to invest, you know, and see the public investment there because it's just not there. The public investment is not there at all. And honestly, if if the the time is, is now, because I am quite fearful that the industry may collapse within the next year or two, if we don't see that long-term funding that we know is so necessary. And I need your help. You, Kate, and everyone else that's listening to this, I, I need your help. The other advocacy organizations need your help. We cannot do it by ourselves. We cannot do it without you. So, you know, really, this whole podcast is more than just encouraging you to advocate. I am clinging with you. Uh, yeah. Please, you know, think through a way that, that you can raise your voice and because, because we absolutely need it. We need you in this, uh, in this fight. Okay. You've got me. <laughs> you convinced <laughs> me because it's so crazy to me that education continues to take a backseat. It's the one thing that everyone in this nation has in common that at some point we have been in a school or in a learning environment of some sort, even if we are learning in our home, education is something that people make decisions about all the time. And as a parent, where is my child going to go? As a teacher, who are these children coming into my classroom? And just, I don't know, it's it's the thing that we should all have in common and we should agree that this needs to be, right? And this is why the informal advocacy part is can can be a game changer because when you're looping in new voices, you could potentially be looping in new perspectives that can weigh in on this. 
A great example is one time there was a, it was a statewide chamber of commerce. And I was, I was speaking with someone at the chamber of commerce and, and they said that they had, you know, heard about the issue of early childhood because their brother's daughter, so their, their niece or someone was an early childhood worker. And like, and then he learned about just how bad it was for them. And by learning about that, this person at the chamber of commerce then was able to start to pitch in with the advocacy. And suddenly now in, in this state, not only do we have the, the educators and the usual suspects when it comes to advocacy, but now we have industry weighing in, right? We have a chamber of commerce, which, which typically has a voice saying that, yes, uh, childcare and early learning are absolutely crucial. So don't underestimate the power of one conversation because that one conversation can bring that new voice to the table. The worst part is that you may not know, right? That one conversation could result in another conversation that then could, so, you know, you may be removed from it, but that's okay. Because as teachers, I think we're, we're used to that, right? A, a student may not get what we're saying on that day. They may get it a year from now or, or 10 years from now. And they, right. they think back, you know, I remember when Mr. Stewart told me this, I've certainly done that with my teachers before. And I thought it's been 10 years since she said this, but it's finally clicking. <laughs> and, and that's okay because I, I think, you know, as educators, we, we know the power of education and, and spreading that awareness. Yeah. So, okay. Time to get down to the nitty gritty. Let's, let's recap here. Cause I'm convinced and I will do something advocacy wise. I have never been that type of person. Like Sure, I can get on a soapbox maybe in my with my teacher friends, right? Because we talk to each other all the time. But how I need to now get brave to speak to a new ear, right? Be a new voice to a new ear. That would be helpful instead of just always talking to ourselves about the problems. We need to get get the word out. So we have formal, we have informal, we have close by, local, state, federal, we've got all of these things. We know their timing is an issue or sometimes not, right? Sometimes it's more impactful and sometimes it's like anytime's a good time to speak up about it. So what would be maybe a couple big takeaways you would want the listeners to take from this conversation for their own next step? One, we need your voice. Two, we need it sooner rather than later. And, you know, I think for those that might be, be you know, on the fence, but, but leaning towards getting involved, I think breaking this down, just like you would any sort of task for your classroom, break this down into something manageable. I mentioned, you know, midterms are kind of this big turning point here, especially this year. Maybe commit to trying to do one thing before midterms. And then one thing after midterms, maybe you could try to commit to doing something weekly. If you're a social media user, maybe that's, you know, a post weekly about this issue leading to midterms. Think through those goals that you feel comfortable committing to and, and start there. Because I think that once we start getting into more of the specifics, then starts to become a little bit more manageable. We would love for you to try to raise your voice by the end of this year. And I say that because, and specifically to Congress, I should specify that. So if you're wanting to get started in a direction, say it feels like there's like a, a million directions right now, 
One that I can suggest is that congressional advocacy before the end of the year um, so that Congress understands that they need to get a bipartisan deal for childcare and early learning. So that's a great place to start. Most importantly is that make sure that you're doing this in a way that's comfortable for you and bring the skills that you already have to the table. And the last thing I'll say is you deserve more. I know it's awkward for a lot of people to ask for more, right? Especially teachers who are very selfless and very giving. And you deserve more because your students deserve a teacher. So don't feel nervous about or weird about asking for things that help yourself because the job that you're doing is is already selfless and it is okay to be not only asking for these things, I'm going to use the verb demanding for these things because that's what your students deserve as well. So that's kind of the one thing that I want to leave off with you all to the educators out there that are, that are currently out there. The work you're doing is, is sensational. You are on the front lines right now too. And it is very difficult, but please know that we support you and you deserve more. And and we would love your voice in raising that to, to members of Congress. You're out there fighting for us and you want us to join in. Right. You just said, I can't do it alone. (laughs) We can't do it alone. We need your voice. Thank you so much for all of the information that you've given us and the encouragement. And we can do this. (laughs) We can do this. I promise I will try to. No, that's not committed enough. I promise I will do something before and after the midterm election. I really want to lend my voice to make a difference for classrooms and all of the children in this nation that need the best teachers and the best settings they can get. So thank you so much. Parting thoughts. Thank you for for having me today. This has been a a wonderful conversation and thanks to the educators. I I know I just went on a whole whole thing about thanking them, but seriously cannot thank you enough and and the work you're doing is difficult and it is more difficult even than when I was doing it and you're doing a fantastic job but now we need to do our part we being everyone else and it's time for the country to step up and support you like they always should thank you so much thank you thank you You know, I've never really thought of advocacy as a form of self-care, but I get it now. Lending my voice to the fight for what's best for myself, my colleagues, and our students and families is an important way to take care of each of us. I'm so grateful to Jake for making the intimidating act of advocacy seem totally doable. We're experts. Our voices matter and they're needed. So let's raise our voices together. Until next time, take care of yourself and your team because what you do matters.